Hello and welcome to Smooth Musings, a podcast brought to you by Smooth Fusion. And uh, today we're going to start uh, with the first of a three-part series. And in this episode, we're talking about what what is an enterprise website and what's the process that we call discovery and design. And uh, then we're going to have an installment about implementation. And then uh, finally, there'll be an installment about launch and ongoing maintenance of a site. And so on each of these, we're going to have a, uh, we'll be inviting a little bit different group from uh, our team here at Smooth Fusion. And so I'll let you know who we have today. Uh, I'm Todd Knowlton, uh, CEO here at Smooth Fusion. And we have our VP of Customer Success, Dylan Eccles. Our Director of Business Development, Stephen Collings. Our VP of Production, Janae Allen. Our Director of UX and Design, Brady Miller. Our Director of Marketing, Jake Picken, and our Director of IT, Gary Evans. And, and just kind of let you know how this is going to go. We're really just going to be skimming the surface today, obviously, of a really big topic. And, and we do plan to have some follow-up episodes that will dive deeper into some of these topics uh, that we'll hit today. But if you're a marketer or someone else that's in charge of the rebuild of an enterprise-level site, uh we want to make you look good and, and keep you out of the common pitfalls. And so that is really the goal uh, for this series is to let you know what to expect at each stage of, uh, of building an enterprise level site so that uh, you can be as successful as possible. So we're going to just kind of jump in here. We've been, uh, our company has, has been around for 23 years We've been doing this for a long time, and and we while we also try to keep up with all the new things going on, uh, we also like to bring along the best practices from uh, the things we've learned. And and this group here uh, have been around a long time and and have tons of experience in this. And so I think uh, there'll be a lot of uh, a lot of good tips and wisdom come out of this today. So we're gonna we're gonna kick this off just uh, really with with Dylan here, just asking, uh, Dylan, you know, what, what's an enterprise website and how would you define the difference between what we call an enterprise website and maybe, uh, your more run of the mill websites out there? Yeah. So I think, uh, an important distinguishing factor of it is the fact that it's enterprise, um, being that it's for typically an enterprise website will be a website for a large organization. Though a medium-sized business may have an enterprise level or scale um, web application, um, generally how we're talking about it is a website that's built for enterprise uh, organizations. And so those will typically have hundreds of pages or several integration points with like CRMs, knowledge bases, um, login systems, providers. Um, It could be an internet. It could be a public-facing website as well. Um, They're really just in the simplest terms, probably hundreds of pages and uh, quite a bit of complexity. Okay. Yeah. And, and so, you know, these are, these are large projects. They take a lot of time. And, and that first step, uh, you know, gets called different things probably by different teams, but the, uh, uh, a very common uh, name you'll hear out there is discovery and design. And, and, uh, that's that research and planning phase that really has to be done in order to make sure that we know, you know, what we're designing and what we're building. 
So, uh, you know, different companies approach that uh, a little bit different ways, but really it's pretty pop, you know, pretty, pretty common. Uh, there's a lot of, I guess, similarities between the ways that uh, the companies approach discovery and design because your, your primary things there, are you're trying to make sure that, that our team understands your needs and the scope of your project. Uh, we got to get both our team and our customer's team on the same page about all the different aspects of the project. Uh, we ultimately have to design a website that makes sure we've considered all the important things. And, uh, and all of this is done so that implementation uh, hopefully goes a lot more smoothly. So what I want, we're going to do here with this, uh, with this part of our team is just kind of go around the group. Uh, we'll kind of go in order, but we may hop around a little bit. But if uh, just want to kind of go around the group and talk about some of the things that are happening during discovery and design from the perspective of each of these folks uh, on the team. So uh, again, I'm going to just start with Dylan again, and uh, and you can uh, uh, you know bring up the things that that come to mind for you. But I think the, the question here is just, what are some of the major things that we're looking to have answers to during this phase? Yeah. And I think uh, another important characteristic of that I forgot to mention that kind of segues into this is that enterprise applications take time um, and they take a lot of planning. Um, and so considering that these, these projects may take months and they may take dozens and dozens of stakeholders, um, input to be able to for the idea of the concept to come to fruition and so whenever you're going into a design and discovery of a project you obviously have a goal um, and so i think one of the most important things is why are you looking at uh, in implementing uh, a new enterprise web website um, are you trying to fix some challenges are you trying to offload opportunity costs? Are you trying to implement some more integrations with other systems and you're dealing with legacy systems? So really, I think that the first thing is why are you doing it, which it connects with some of my other points as well, which is building for scale. Um, so I think an important part is whenever you're considering rebuilding your web application, especially if it's an enterprise, um, that you don't want to uh, start piling up technical debt as you're going through it. And so if you're thinking about uh, that your web application is going to become a living application. It's not just a website you're putting out there and then rebuilding in a few years. So you need to consider how is how is your company going to scale and then how are you, your enterprise applications going to scale alongside it. And when you're in that planning phase of a project, that's really the best opportunity to, to take care of that because um, you just have to think about this, the different ways you may scale your product inventory if you're acquiring other product brands, do you need a dedicated um, off-site database or something? Um, just different things to consider. Uh, and then also, in addition to that, I like pain points of your current website. What are some of the things that you don't want to recreate? Or what are some of the things that you felt like took longer than they should have? Um, really, you just want to start investigating those kinds of things because any, any even micro-optimization that you find can be a win. Um, and cascade into a bigger win. Uh, and then also you need to identify really what, like, sorry, and also in addition to going into the, the design and discovery is, so you've got your goals, you've got your pain points and things you want to avoid, but then you need to start considering also like on a literal level is what, it, what, it, what is changing from site to site because that starts to influence your plan. 
Um, so you may think about how maybe you have too many web pages on your website and content too spread out. So one of your goals is to merge the content. Uh, so you need to actually think about what is the technical impact of that, like the redirects. Uh, you have to set up um, and page title changes, anything along those lines. Uh, and then also, I would say the last thing that comes to mind is workflows. Uh, is who's going to be working on the website uh, and how or who's going to be pulling data from the website. And this kind of goes back to the scale is understanding which different departments or teams within your organization may have some integration point with your website and, and need to leverage it. And so that your all of the decisions that you're making in reference to your enterprise website are complementing your, your organization as a whole. Yeah, Dylan, you mentioned uh, uh, technical debt. If, uh, and we could get Janae to answer this, I guess, but, uh, what, uh, uh, give it just for those who don't, maybe aren't familiar with that term. What do you mean by technical debt? Uh, I would say that there's just probably different, Janae can probably give a more sophisticated answer, but the way I would describe it is just trying to find a quick solution or a workaround for something. So a, a, an example might be that you have some, a a network of dealers you're trying to add to a map and you find that some of those dealers operate in uh, their their radius of of customers isn't necessarily a radius but maybe they it corresponds to a, a, a list of zip codes and so if you're trying to figure out okay I want to accommodate these few dealers um, do I go ahead and hard code these things which hey, you have a developer go in the code and put in the literal list of zip codes that they need to show up for in results um, or do we add that uh, to the existing CRM so that any other dealers in the future that may need it will also have that functionality accessible, just turnkey. So in the hard coding solution, every time a new zip code needs to be added or someone else, it's just the cost just sustains it. So it just continues because you're needing somebody to intervene. And so often it's how do we uh, mitigate developer intervention um, I would say, and if a task has yeah. a high amount of developer intervention, I would say that has a lot of technical debt to a, to a degree. Yeah, so we don't want to come back and redo something just because we did it cheaply the first time or whatever. So, yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, Stephen, uh, uh, Stephen Collings, our uh, Director of Business Development, I just want to ask you, Stephen, uh, just kind of what are – what are some of the things from your perspective that uh, you want to be making sure we get answers to at this stage? I think what Dylan was saying is, is really good is um, a lot of times there's already a process that's already in place and we need to optimize it. It's, it's not normally a new ask. Some, sometimes it is, but especially on those ones that are already in place and we're bringing them to a web on, onto the web to I don't know, make it easier or more accessible to people. It's really thinking, how does this need to change? We don't want to just always do a one for one. So maybe a simplified version of my answer is asking for the why. Like it's important to continue asking, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Not just to replicate what we already have for the web, but are there ways to optimize? We also talked about like the workflows. So maybe a good example would be everyone's going to a spreadsheet right now to enter information. Well, the better way might be one person enters something, then it sends a notification to the next person that it's their turn. So what's what's that ideal way of setting all this up? Um, 
that can lead to a lot of scope creep though too. So we, it's good to like in these discovery times, uh, Blackboard or is the Blackboard still a thing? Do we whiteboard now? I'm we whiteboard. <laughs> so just <laughs> noting all of that stuff down. And then the next step of that is, okay, we have all the, here's all the, the scope. We can't do it all at once. We can't build a man mansion all at once. Let's just uh, take a little steps. So that's called the MVP, most viable uh, product. What's the smallest thing we can launch with just to get something out there? So I think we brainstorm as much as we can. And then from there, we, we figure out what's, what are we going to launch with? So all that goes into the uh, discovery phase. And then from there, um, we start looking at timelines. So once we identify what the scope is, now we can look at, okay, what's the realistic timeline for this? Uh, there's a lot of steps into that. And then what's a rough cost? So we can make sure we're still in line with, uh, with ask. Yeah. Let's talk about budget for a minute. I know, uh, I know a lot of times uh, it's not a customer's favorite thing when a company like us says, what's your budget. And, and I think that's because it, it comes across as though we're wanting to know what their budget is. So we can make sure we spend it all, but, uh, but talk to us really what's, what, what's really the importance of us having some kind of indication of budget at this stage? Yeah, I, I used to always hate asking that question, uh, the dreaded question asked. But, but I've learned that really does help us to give you the right, uh, right solution. If you have $10,000, well, it might be able to do what you need. But if you, if you had 20, you, you'll be able to do what you need. Plus, we can add all these bells and whistles. If you're just looking at the you just need to do it quick. Well, if we don't need to add all that in. So knowing what the budget is and if there's any flex that if we, what if we did come up with these bigger ideas, would you want to consider it or it's just absolute no. So all of that helps us just to give the right recommendation. Uh, and it's not just to spend all the money. It's, we want to we want to make our partners look good, like you said, Todd. So that all goes into yeah. uh, letting our expertise come into this to provide the recommendation that they need. Well, and maybe related to that is uh, maybe not everything fits in your budget right now, but even if you have a big budget right now, there's always going to be those things that you think of along the way. So, so what, uh, what should a, a person expect in terms of, you know, what, what, what do we do about the things that we think of that might be able to be done in the future? Yeah. And that, that goes into a couple of things. One even in that first discovery call, that's a nice thing about working with a development partner who's done this a long time. One, you're going to get new ideas from rather than just your your company who's trying to come up with something else. We we can bring in all the different hundreds of websites we've done. Uh, so that's gonna that's gonna play into that. Um, so, sorry, Todd. What was the the original question again? Well, just. Uh... You know, the the idea of there's there's always going to be a future phase, right? And so we can save things for a future phase, but you want to also be smart about what you save. Uh, you know, we we compare this process a lot to building a house, and there's certain things that are reasonable to wait and do in a second phase when you're building a house, but there's certain things that 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 make no sense to wait 
you know, if you're, if you're going to want uh, uh, your garage a little bit bigger, well, let's do that from day one. Let's not say, oh, later we'll make the garage a foot wider. You know, that'd be a, that'd be a big undertaking for that. So, so the same thing applies here, right? We, we've got uh, part of this process is to make sure we're being smart about what do we need to do in this phase versus what are the things that maybe can be held for a, for a future phase. Yeah. And I think that's where um, I started off by saying that brainstorming session, I think that's going to help us know like what, are, what's your grand goal five, five years from now on your, on your site. So it's important to know, know that. So as we're architecting, like you said, you don't want to put the basement in your house after the fact, that's going to be expensive. So <laughs> if we know those five years, we're going to eventually do this. Well, we'll architect it in a way or give the recommendation. We, you might want to do it later, but it really should be done now to save money. So we're always thinking that, and that's where I was going to with um, our expertise. Even after that first call, it's not going to be right, but we can have a good gut feel of the size of this project. So if your budget's like 50,000 and as we're hearing things like, this is definitely a $200,000 ask, and there's not much way to simplify it down to what you need. We can talk about that right away. So does this need to be a different project altogether or let's, we can just stop and reevaluate it when it's a better time. So all of that we're considering yeah. as we're interviewing the clients and asking about the project. Yeah, if I okay, could so let's maybe add on. To, oh, go ahead, Dylan. If you don't mind, if I add on to that, um, I think yeah, one of the things that's important that I didn't really call out is, and that Stephen was alluding to, was the establishing of the MVP. Um, and this isn't most of the time when you're, unless you're a new company, um, your website, I think, which you alluded to as well, already is existing, so it's not coming from scratch. So if you're going about identifying your MVP, it's typically what are the current functions that the application performs and that needs to continue to perform? And those will be the basis or the foundation of your MVP. And then you start to use method. I mean, you can use methods like the Moscow method where it's must haves, could have, should have, uh, won't have, if I did that in order. Um, and that's how you can go about, and you usually do that as an exercise with stakeholders to go about determining um, what is, uh, what needs to be on the application at that time. So just yeah. in terms of identifying the MVP, it's not only wants, it's firstly needs and then um, wants. Okay. So let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit here and go to Janae. Uh, Janae's our VP of production. She's been with the company, what, 17 or so years? Something yeah, like that. Uh, <laughs> been a... Uh, started out as a developer, then a software engineer, then the head of our development, now head of all production. But uh, so, you know, like, well, we're not going to do any implementation during this discovery phase, but there are a lot of things we need to make sure we know to, uh, you know, from your perspective, uh, to make sure we're prepared for what's coming. So tell us a little bit about some of the things that uh, that you're going to want to know during this discovery uh, session? Yeah, sure. Um, so I get involved at the time whenever we start thinking about architecting the site or creating a technical architecture. Um, and this architecting the site, that's where we decide, is this going to be like a from the ground up type of website? Is this going to be maybe it uses a content management system? 
Um, so really you need to think about who's going to be using the site. Um, you know, do what, what are the requirements that you're wanting? Um, like if you're going to be making content changes all the time, it's really important for you to have access and not need developer intervention to make content updates, then maybe you need to go with the content management system. Um, so we'll make some decisions like that um, as we're architecting the site. Also thinking about uh, your own development squad um, and your team there, thinking about, you know, eventually are they going to want to take over the development of the site or the maintenance of it? Um, so that, that'll that help you decide like where the source control you want it to be, um, you know, your database, your hosting, all of that is going to be decided here, along with um, any kind of integrations you have with other systems, um, CRMs or do you pull data from other systems that you want to display on your website, but maybe you don't want to manage that data in this website that you're building. Uh, so we'll have some, some discussions about things like that. Uh, so the technical architecture, some of it happens before the design um, to help make those decisions about things. And sometimes it happens after the design. So once design's complete, then we'll go through and, and determine how we're going to build some of those things that have been designed. Um, so during this time, I think it's important, um, as we've alluded to before, is thinking about what's on your site currently. Um, what do you like about it? What are some things that you, some functionality that you need to bring over into the new site? Maybe it can be tweaked a little bit, but ultimately it needs to be there. Like have some kind of functionality to surface a directory of people or providers or something like that. Um, and, and you want that on the new site. Um, you want to identify things like that so that as you are going through design, you make sure the design um, considers those pieces as well. Um, and any kind of integration points that you have or, um, you know, filling out a form where you want that data to go. Uh, so, so we'll be talking a lot of the technical things like that, um, either, you know, before design and after. Um, sometimes, thinking about after we're through design and, you know, we're, we're getting ready to launch the site. We, um, we know customers are excited about getting the site live. Um, and I would recommend that even after development is done, you take pretty good amount of time to really go through the site, do your user acceptance testing thoroughly, you know, make sure all those integration points are there, that they're working. Um, as Dylan mentioned before, thinking about redirects from old URLs to new URLs, um, SEO, uh, search engine optimizations, so thinking about page titles and descriptions, um, and also ADA compliance. Uh, you need to think about what level of ADA compliance you're going to want to support on your, your new website. And all of that's easier to do upfront rather rather than after it's built. For so. sure. and. Uh... And yeah, and that's probably a good segue over to Brady. Uh, you know, Brady, uh, we're talking about a discovery and design phase. We haven't even talked to the designer yet. What, what, what up with that? But uh, uh, but Brady is a, a designer and UX guy, and so uh, you know, what are what are the things that uh, you know that come into this phase for you? Well, I mean, when we first get started in, in this process, you know, the first thing we're going to ask a customer is that if they have their own logo, if they have a style guide, any kind of branding guide to really get us started on the direction 
of what the overall site is just going to look like. Um, and so it's really important for us to adhere to th those things and even to create, if they don't have a firm style guide that covers a lot of uh, tonal colors to use throughout the site, we're, we're going to come up with those, you know, or any web, web company needs to come up with those and have some good light colors, some good dark colors, some good colors that pop and, and really establish those things from the get go. Uh, otherwise, it's just it's going to be kind of chaos trying to do that. Um, and then the next thing would be, and, and Steven kind of touched on this a little bit, but, uh, what is the point of the site? Like, um, who is your audience? What are your call to actions? You really have to establish what is even the point of doing this? If you're going to have a website, is it just a, a brochure website to show what you do? Or is it really a living, breathing thing that is to pull in more customers that it's to sell a product. Um, so really getting down and, and seeing what those details are and, and figuring out those call to actions so that you don't just have a, a front page that they land on and it's just a bunch of fluff that nobody's gonna actually read. Like let's put things on there that are going to drive traffic and achieve exactly what you wanna achieve on the website. Um, and within that, you know, we're going to be looking at the fundamentals of UX, typography, menu location, those kind of things that, you know, we can always be creative. We can create really cool things. But at the same time, like you have to think about where people's eyes are drawn to to do certain actions. If you're going to log in, if you're going to sign out, usually people are looking traditionally at the top right corner for those things. Um, and you don't always want to break apart from the norms just to do it. Like you need to think about the customer and they are there to get the information they need. Um, and the, the design, you know, even as a designer, I have to say this is secondary to the experience um, that they're going through of being on the website themselves. So you really have to have the right team for that. And then the right team for web and mobile to make sure they are optimizing for those things. Um, because I mean, it's, it's no surprise to anybody that's in the web world or just alive at this point to know that mobile browsing is where it's at. And that's what most people are browsing on. So it's been a while since mobile browsing took over as the predominant way to look at websites. So if you're not considering those things, it's just, you're losing a huge market. And there's at this point in the game, there's really no point in it if you're not going to design for for mobile um and then the next thing i want to mention is investing in design saves money and implementation because the more we can factor in the designs the ux and really think through those processes up front the more it's going to be easier for the the actual developers to implement that stuff so if you just, if we kind of take a lot of assumptions going into it, it's, it's harder for developers to finish a, an assumed design because um, they think in a totally different way than a creative type would. So we have to connect those dots. And when we're creating and designing, we have to think about how a developer is going to read it uh, because they read it in an entirely different way than a creative type would. So we're always considering those things.
Yeah, Brady, I think that's a great point about the creative review because a lot of time it's the everyone's liking where the creative direction is going. So they say, yes, this is approved, not really thinking to the end. So it's pretty approved, but they're not thinking into all the minutia of everything. And just like if we go back to that house uh, illustration, it's a lot, it's a lot cheaper to change your architecture drawings than uh, redoing a wall. So uh, it's really important in that creative phase for the project manager, the account team to really go to the stakeholders and the leadership team to like press that this is the final that's, there's no going back, even though you can go back and you can change it in dev. Um, my little hint is pretend like you can't yeah, <laughs> at least yeah. for them to get them to agree to it. So absolutely. Um, yeah. and, and we've had to deal with that and I've dealt with that a lot in the past where, you get the customer feedback. They say everything looks good, um, but they didn't really, really look at it. Um, they just kind of gave it a, a little glance. And then we get further into the process and they start wanting making, they start wanting to change those things. And they're like really invested at that point. And they're like, okay, now we're, now I'm ready to get my hands dirty. And we're kind of at a whole different point than they are. If they start commenting on the design and saying, well, actually, what if we change this? Well, that changes the functionality. And then all of a sudden we're, we're going back way back in the process. So the more that we can get approved earlier in that process, the better it just works for everybody. So that once we get into implementation, it's, it's all developers. Um, and at that point in an ideal, perfect world, which doesn't always happen, the designer would not touch it again after that point. Um, now, of course, there's always going to be exceptions, but it's good to have those guidelines in place to, to make everything run smoothly. Um, and within that, you know, we, we consider like font and image licensing, you know, that's, that's a question we try to ask early on because the sooner we can get ahead of that, the better, because, um, once again, in the past, I've had to deal with websites where, uh, a designer created designs that they thought looked good, but they weren't even considering font licensing and how that applies to the web because print and web are two totally different things. You know, you can throw something in print and violate copyrights and people may not be the wiser um, because only the people that see it would know. But with the web, you have to be really careful because um, those licenses can kind of be tracked in a different way. And if we really want to follow those copyright licenses, you have to consider those things. Um, Gotham Bold or, or Gotham font, super popular font. Um, a lot of designers love to use it. It is a commercial font and it is not a cheap commercial font. So we've had to deal with in the past where customers come to us and say, here's the designs and they use Gotham throughout it. We say, okay, what do you want to do about this? Do you want to purchase a commercial font and use that licensing? And they just had no idea. And by that point, then we have to go, okay, would you like to use a free Google font alternative? And if they're okay with that, great. Um, but on the other hand, we, we have very similar Google fonts, but they don't match exactly. So you could see things shift a little bit. And all of a sudden the design starts changing just a little bit. And we're going right back to a point where we have to get that reviewed and approved again. So the sooner we can address those concerns about what fonts they're using in the designs, um, the better. And when it comes to image licensing, it's kind of the same thing. Like we have to look at the images. If they're supplying those, 
where did they get them from and just really help the customer on that process and that that journey to how are they acquiring photos and just because it's royalty free there's there's a lot of different licensing things they have to consider about how many page views it can have same thing with fonts like you can have so many page views a month so there's a lot of ins and outs there that um we could really almost do like a separate separate podcast just about that because it's it's very involved yeah. and it's something you really have to consider. Yeah. And I was going to tack on to that. Okay. It's not necessarily licensing, so, but I've seen images, website, website designs that feature images the customer doesn't even have. And so they've been functioning on this assumption that the delivery of the website was going to also come with some of the imagery, but uh, they didn't have it in time. And so you have to restructure some of the sizing. So it's also very important that whoever is designing your website, that the images that they're using are something that you can, even provide. Yeah. And the earlier on we had that stuff, the better, because, you know, when you talk about design, if you start throwing up placeholders and there's text on top of the image and they're like, oh yeah, this looks great. And then they change the image and all of a sudden you got text like right over somebody's face, then you go, okay, well, this isn't going to work. <laughs> so the sooner we know that stuff, the better we can design it up front. Yeah. And, and I think quick, the time to jump in is another important point with that too is like not just getting your leadership to review the creative but also get the developers to review it because they could be reviewing yeah. something that's just not even right on a on the internet or um so to, my advice is always show the developers and get their input and revisions before any clients or leadership anyone starts to see it because they could approve it and then you have to start over again because it didn't work after the developer sees it yeah we we started doing that to where before it even goes to the customer, it goes through a, re a review process with the developer so that we're not promising something in the design that we can't even yeah. implement. Um, and so that's, that's become a really important step. Sounds like a whole nother uh, podcast we should do at another time. Uh, <laughs> like a lot we could dive into there. So, uh, so to keep things moving along here though, uh, uh, I want to bring Jake in. Uh, Jake is our, director of marketing, but he gets really involved in our projects in helping with a variety of things like SEO and content migration. And, and so Jake, uh, kind of tell us some of the things that, that you're looking out for at the uh, discovery phase. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, Janae kind of mentioned it a little bit, but, uh, SEO is definitely one of those, uh, topics that marketers, are you know extremely concerned about when they're redesigning their site so um you know i'd say the first thing is in the discovery design phase um you definitely want to you know do a seo audit um just really understand your site understand where there's seo issues um and then you know using tools like Moz or SEMrush. Uh, there's a bunch of tools out there, but those are kind of the big ones. Um, and then, you know, just generating kind of baseline reports in Google Analytics. Um, again, that's really just to kind of understand things like, you know, what's the most popular pages? Uh, what's the most popular CTAs? Um, and then also on, on the flip side, kind of, you know, which pages have high bounce rates. I think, um, you know, the more data you have up front, um, the more, you know, you understand your site usage. Um, 
yeah, there could be, uh, yeah, this, that data is just a lot, very helpful for designers and developers as your project gets started. Um, and then also, uh, yeah, once your site launches, that baseline data is really helpful to compare to, um, to see, you know, how, um, how the redesign, uh, went in regards to marketing. So, um, and then also, um, Janae mentioned this too, but a plan for redirects, um, that's probably from the SEO perspective with the redesign, that's, that's like the most important thing you're going to want to focus on. Um, you know, a lot of times you're changing site structure, you're changing those, the names of URLs. So yeah, just really making sure you're, um, you're redirecting to the, the new content on your site. Uh, cause that's, you're really going to take a hit, um, when it comes to SEO, if, if you don't have those in place. Um, and then, um, I guess getting into kind of the MarTech integration, uh, we talked a little bit about integration, but, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of tools that you may use for, for marketing or for personalization or for tracking user data on your site. So, um, I'd say, you know, come up with, you know, have a list of that, uh, whether it's in an Excel spreadsheet or a simple checklist and, um, and just making sure that, uh, when it comes time to the end of your project, uh, you have all those code snippets in, uh, that are tracking any kind of data, um, you know, things like tag manager, making sure all your tags are, um, you know, set up correctly and will work with the redesign. Um, and then, you know, I, I mentioned personalization, but, um, yeah, like if you have any tool for personalization, make sure, um, you know, you have that set up or just make sure you let the designers and developers know, um, that, uh, you know, personalization is something that you plan on doing. Uh, Sitefinity has, uh, Sitefinity Insight which is, um, a tool that we're very familiar with and some of our clients use, um, but that essentially, um, gives you a lot of, uh, user data that you can use to personalize content and, uh, pages on your site. So, um, yeah, I'd say that's probably at a high level, most important things, uh, that I could think of, uh, you know, if, if your marketing is more sophisticated, uh, there's, and more, the more platforms you use, you know, the more you're going to have to do ahead of time to, to plan for those things. Okay. So the, uh, the other part that's coming up at some point in this project is going to be the IT side of things. We gotta, we gotta launch this thing someday and host it. And so there's some things that need to go into, uh, uh, sort of just the, the whole IT side of planning. So Gary, our director of IT, uh, what's, uh, what are the things that you're wanting to know when we're still in discovery? Yeah, so at this initial kind of design discovery phase, um, really the important questions are where, where are, is each piece of this going to live? So um, 
infrastructure is, is what I'm managing and setting up and, and generally in the cloud, it's pretty much all in the cloud now. And Azure is where we host most of our things. So, so specifically, where's the source code going to live? Is that going to be something that the client has in their environment or is it something that we, the developer, um, the development company are going to host? Um, the, the deployment pipeline. So CICD is always something we use when we're deploying a website from environment to environment um, or stage to stage. So where's the deployment pipeline? Where's that continuous uh, deployment pipeline going to live? Is it, again, something we host and manage or is it something that, that will live somewhere else? Um, and then each of those environments and stages, uh, usually we call the first one development. So there's a development web app or a website and a database. So again, where, where's that going to live and who's going to have access to it and who's going to manage it? Um, and then oftentimes that that's usually what we look at first, but then we do like to think, okay, where is this going to be hosted eventually? Um, because we can, we can do some of those things early if it's going to be hosted with us, or we can get with the company that's hosting it and, and begin those connections and begin forming those relationships so that we can connect the pipeline out to say a staging site and then the production environment. So there's a lot of those questions that have to be answered. Um, and, and then, and then on top of that, wherever it's hosted, who's going to need ongoing access to it. Right. So, um, obviously we will, since we're, we're doing most of the code, but sometimes the client has other companies that they want to bring in to do various other pieces, um, you know, reviews or just, you know, a legal kind of thing, or there's just all these different things. And so people might need access to source code or development or, the different environments. So that, that's generally where I come in for the design and discovery is, is cloud infrastructure and where are all these assets going to live? Yeah. Cause that's a, that's obviously important things to know up front. Uh, Cause we've got to be planning for that throughout the whole, the whole process of implementation and everything else. So as, as you folks can see the uh, there's a lot of things we could dive a lot deeper into and, and we will. We'll have some episodes where we'll uh, dive much deeper into some of the things we hit on today. But uh, and, and here we're just in discovery and design. So uh, what we'll uh, hit on the next installment is is implementation. What are the things that uh, that you can expect, you know, during the implementation phase of the project? And um, uh, we'll have a uh, some of these folks back and some some different folks join us at that point as well so i hope you'll join us for that episode uh thanks to all you that were on here with us today to to help us explain this to everybody and we'll catch you next time thanks for listening to smooth musings if you liked today's episode make sure to subscribe share it with someone and rate us on itunes spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts this podcast is presented by smooth fusion like more information about Smooth Fusion and how we help our customers with websites, custom software, and more, go to www.smoothfusion.com.